You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Josh Grunberg, Head of Community Development and Growth at Whistle Sports. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, James. So you studied journalism at Humber College in Toronto and then began your career as a sports producer for Rogers, TSN, and later ESPN. How did this early experience shape your future career? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I would say the early stage of my career really focused me on how to write and develop content. The difference from about 10 years ago, and I'm dating myself a little bit, is that the delivery mechanism was completely different and backwards from where it is today. We were writing short scripts, uh, writing short show segments, producing interviews that were primarily built to be distributed on a either a live or taped television program. So your intros were very formulaic. Your segments were very much on time. Um, you had various elements that had to be included at certain time codes within a show and various varying levels of cues that had to be included as well. We would then, and this is probably you know, midway through my, my television career when I was working to produce a television sports show in Canada called Off the Record with Michael Landsberg, which was a national show on TSN, a national talk show, um, actually the longest running sports talk show in Canada at its time. And what we would do is we would take our segments and we would then just basically throw them up on the website. That was kind of, I think, what everybody did. You, you produce your TV show, you took your segments, you threw them up on the website, and you hope for the best. We eventually figured out, okay, we'll extract the audio, we'll create you know, a podcast, throw up the audio only. And then we kind of got into developing web-specific bonus segments that were a little bit different, a little bit more flexible, and probably pushed the edge a little bit more in terms of the creativity and editorial guide because you didn't have some of the same boundaries that you did on television. Fast forward a little bit until probably about 2008, Twitter kind of makes its, its first move to becoming an editorial vision. And that really for us as an editorial and sports show changed absolutely everything and how we thought and what we did. We produced segments completely different. And it was the first time in which we could actually interact with our viewers through Twitter. We would incorporate tweets into the show. Um, none of this stuff seems groundbreaking at all today, right? But in 2008, 2009, like this was actually you know pretty groundbreaking. We could actually interact, read tweets on the air respond to questions and interact with viewers in real time in a way that could never be done on television. So you're experimenting with content posted to your website and then also incorporating Twitter into your live broadcast. How did you ultimately then make your way from the traditional media world into playing a more active role in getting a job in the digital world? Twitter really personally opened my eyes to how interactive and how social video could be at the time, television. Through my work in producing television shows, networked, I traveled a lot, field produced. I ended up in Vancouver for the 2011 Stanley Cup final. The Canucks were playing the Boston Bruins. Ended up networking, making great contacts out there. I had a real passion for digital at the time, really loved 
you know, the emergence of YouTube as actually becoming more of a editorial based program and not just uh, me at the zoo type of platform, slowly but surely ended up being recruited to go out there. And aside from focusing on in arena entertainment and the traditional broadcast, really had a focus on digital. Long story short, I absolutely fell in love with programming content on YouTube. When the, the first playbook was written, I think I printed it out. I read it every night. There's, you know, learning about audience retention, how to use analytics to shape your editorial strategy, how to use annotations, how, how to create interactive videos. We did like a, a arena tour, which you could basically choose your own adventure as to which part of the arena you want to go next. You could incorporate comments into your programming. It was amazing. And that's really what shaped me and brought me to believe that, wow, like this is going to become the future. And we went all in in Vancouver with the Canucks. And I'm proud to say we were one of the few NHL teams that really built a YouTube first centric programming schedule to really build our brand and to deliver content to our fans on basically any device that they were on, mobile, Apple TV, desktop, et cetera. It was there for them. Did you find that building YouTube presence drove other activity as well? Was it encouraging people to go to the games? I think what it did was it really increased brand awareness. Uh, we were very aggressive in posting highlights very quickly. We had a team scored a goal. We cut it. It was on YouTube. It went out on Twitter. This is before Twitter had native upload, even before Facebook had native upload. That was really the way to do it really quickly. And then you drove so much engagement. And then, yeah, like we were getting our brand out there and telling our story on the world's number one video platform where everybody is. And the other thing too is, and it's hard to measure this, sure. Were we selling more tickets? Maybe we were, but the organization was very successful at the time regardless. But we were building more fans. Our social following was among the fastest out of all 30 teams in the National Hockey League, the fastest growing, and also had a very rabid and very engaged fan base uh, on across all the social platforms because the great work our social team was doing and the great work our video content team was doing, producing content that was interacting and purposely following, number one, the YouTube playbook on how to audience build and use analytics and stats to your advantage when programming your channel. And how did you eventually make your way to Whistle Sports? We had so much success in Vancouver on the YouTube channel that it caught the attention of a gentleman by the name of Dave Sethi, who was a member of the YouTube sports team at the time, the partnerships team, and was also working with Julie Kikla. Dave and I had joked for a long time that we were one day going to work together. And I had always assumed that that was going to be probably at Google or YouTube doing something together in California. One day Dave called me and he told me to basically stop what I was doing and told me that he was leaving along with Julie and they were going to build this network called at the time, The Whistle. I had no idea what it was at the time. Honestly, I didn't even really know what an MCN was. I was really not fully up to speed on that whole world and what was happening there. Long story short, Dave literally lifted me up, brought me from Vancouver to New York City, where we really worked hand in hand together to build this community of sports creators together into what's now known as Whistle Sports. Over uh, 300 creators, 300 million social following around the world of some of the largest and most successful sports creators, be it Dude Perfect, the F2 Freestylers, the Buff Dudes, Brody Smith, we're working with some of the greatest and most successful sports creators, uh, not only on YouTube, but across all social platforms. That's fantastic. And what are some of the challenges that you face in working with creators and building this community? Well, there is obviously a stigma around the three letters MCN. And I think that's a challenge that is faced by a number of communities and a number of networks and how they pivot being away from that. But ultimately, what we try to do is create a community in which creators can grow and create together. We take great pride in actually that word community, and we rarely say network uh, or MCN. That's actually a three letters that we never say within our within our office. But we try to foster opportunities for the creators to grow and develop together. 
and we try to present uh, opportunities that are really in line with what we feel is in the best interest for those creators and understand what works for their audience because we're very selective with who we work with. We've developed these long lasting relationships over the past few years when the network got off the ground and we just really know what works for them. The Whistle just announced uh, even more funding, which is very exciting. Finally closed a, a really big Series C and that brings the total funding to date to $80.5 million. What does the future hold for Whistle Sports? I think you're going to see us put the pedal to the metal more, more so on growth. One, we need to focus on building our brand and doing that through developing content together with our community. So something we've done over the past few months, we've really doubled down on is creating content together with some select group of creators. Around the start of the NBA season, we launched a basketball training series uh, in collaboration with our partner, uh, Pure Sweat Basketball, uh, led by Drew Hanlon, who actually trains NBA players in the offseason. And we work with him to gather content of training some of the NBA players, Andrew Wiggins, uh, one of them, Zach Levine, another, um, around their off-season workouts. And we strategically work with him to get that content launched across the Whistle Sports channel in collaboration with his channels and promotion from him um, in, cl- in collaboration with the start of the NBA season. At around the start of the new year, we commissioned a, a fitness gym stereotype series with the Buff Dudes. Uh, something, you know, new year, new me, new you. We're all working together to get a little, a little more in shape, but we took a real fun and comedic twist to how to produce this content. Right now, we're looking at producing a series with the F2 freestylers. Um, F2 goes to Hollywood and more of a lifestyle-centric focus. So what we're really trying to do is build audience together, grow our brand with our creators, accelerate the amount of branded content that we're producing together with our creators as well, and as well as some of the premium content that we've had great success in working with, for example, Go90 uh, and, and a show like Dunk League. I think you're going to see a lot more of that from us this coming year. Outside of Go90, where are you distributing these other productions? Are you looking at YouTube or even YouTube Red? Are you exploring other SVOD platforms? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're looking where I think everyone is looking. We've been having conversations with the Spotify's and the YouTube Reds, and I think we're going to see that we've made some progress and have some exciting announcements to make over the next the next few months there, but really focusing on our growth and development through our own and operated social platforms, which is as a sports focused, uh, millennial focused community, that's where our network is. You know, building out our own platform um, hasn't really been on our roadmap or something that we're focused on. Uh, we are going where our audience is, which is on the social platforms today. That seems like a really smart strategy and focusing intently on what your community wants, right? And creating content and partnership with them. Absolutely. Like we know that we can't do this on our own. We're not going to build this big uh, sports brand by just doing it ourselves. Our secret sauce and what we have is, yes, we are a content company. We know how to do that. But we're also a marketing machine because we have these relationships with these 300 plus creators that understand how to create content that can reach a really specific and targeted audience. We've also got three very sharp guys in our office uh, who are working, uh, they're, they're data analysts and they're working the numbers every single day. And they are helping us make really strategically uh, sound decisions on where we should be spending our time and distribute our content based on actual hard data. So let's switch gears a little bit and finish up some rapid fire questions. Sure. Do you have any favorite books? What are some of the things you've read that have influenced you? I think I'm jumping on the bandwagon right now and going to reread 1984. That's something that... Uh, I haven't uh, touched in a little a little while. Uh, I did recently read a biography on Lou Gehrig, um, someone who I've always admired um, in the, in, as, a, as an athlete, as a person with the challenges. So that that's something I just wrapped up. But if you have any recommendations, I'm open for them. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received, don't take no for an answer, is to the, where, where there's a will, there's a way. And if anybody's telling you no, it's probably because they don't want to figure it out. 
or they don't have the ability to figure it out. But there's just don't take no for an answer. We had a class. These are supposed to be rapid fire answers. We had a class of high school students come into uh, Whistle Sports a few weeks ago when I was asked that question. And, you know, my response to them was don't let anyone define who you are or what you can and can't do. That's for you to decide. I like that. And it sounds like that uh, persistence quality has served you well. Depends who you ask. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions about the online video space, what do you see? I'm personally very excited about YouTube Red. I think they're going to make huge strides and huge gains this coming year in developing premium programming and a very diverse offering and the long form. I'm very curious to see how they separate their premium YouTube Red offering from the traditional creator offering and how that is divided up on the platform or if it's divided up at all. You know, we, you and I chatted offline before this. I, I'm also very excited about Amazon. I, th- I think they've got a huge potential to commission and to license existing libraries with a obviously proven database of a huge uh, customer base of people who are on that platform every single day. Um, I looked at Spotify as something else that I think has got a lot of potential. Out of curiosity, really fascinated with Facebook. It's one that I think, you know, the audience, the average audience view duration is so short. But now they're doubling down with the algorithm to try to favor more long-form programming the same way that YouTube is reportedly, and we know is, not reportedly, we know that they're doing the same thing. Just haven't seen the data back up that there actually is a user base there that is going to watch long-form content and be able to discover it and watch it sound on on Facebook. Yeah, the shelf life for Facebook content is so much shorter than YouTube, right? And YouTube underwent a similar change years ago when they moved towards a watch time algorithm, which encouraged uh, more activity and audience to spend time on the platform, but also selfishly created more session starts and thus ability for ad placements on YouTube. So I think Facebook will ultimately have to prioritize search and make the video experience better for people who want to come back and, and experience content. I really like your predictions about YouTube, Amazon, and Spotify because the audience is already there, right? The billing relationships exist, especially in the case of Amazon and Spotify, as you touched on. And it's going to come down to the power of the bundle, right? We've seen, uh, you know, a decade or more of media fragmentation. And in many ways, that's going to continue as we drill down into super fan communities. But when you think about all of these SWAT services and all, you know, this other proliferation of content, that's going to be repackaged. Again, we're seeing it traditional. We're going to see it in digital with skinny bundles and with uh, a la carte capabilities for people to choose what they want to watch. And I think YouTube, Amazon, and Spotify all stand a really good chance when that happens. And I think they stand a really good chance working strategically to have the right influencers be either exclusive or have some level of exclusivity on their platforms to help drive audience growth. The one thing that's really important is you can't just take an influencer and produce content uh, featuring them. You have to come up with a holistic solution as to, yes, we want to produce content together with them, uh, leveraging them as creators, but there also has to be a strategic marketing play in leveraging their audience across the social platforms to bring them to the platforms. I don't think we've seen that yet from a lot of the SVOD or AVOD platforms that have uh, built either or still either trying to figure it out today uh, or have failed uh, today to date um, because they haven't figured out that they have to use the the uh, the influencers to actually bring the audience with them and promote it strategically, not just say, hey, influencer X, create six videos of this. We're going to throw it up on our platform and everybody's going to come watch it. We know that doesn't work. So that may lead me into my next question, which is if you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? Would you tackle that problem try and solve it yourself? I think you're fighting an uphill battle if you're trying to create your own platform from scratch. I, I really do. Um, where I, I do think there is significant opportunity is for established brands, be it a sports team, a sports league that has their own IP, 
their own brand, their own audience build up. They have the opportunity to shoulder program around their tent poles and their other events, uh, either through their own platform or to strike a partnership with an established platform that has an audience already and that has a user base. That's where I think it, it's happening. It's going in 2017. You know, we talked a little bit earlier before before we started here. Is I still think there's a tremendous opportunity for shoulder programming around live events that really has not been mastered yet. And where can people find out more about you and more about Whistle Sports? Uh, whistlesports.com is, uh, is our website, but really if you want a, a great reflection of who we are, check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whistlesports or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, for me, Josh Grunberg, you can uh, look me up on, on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook too. I'm pretty much everywhere. I don't have my own, I don't have my own YouTube channel yet. I'm not a creator or influencer yet. Well, you gotta work on that. Uh, what would your channel be about? You know, we made a joke last night. We we're making dinner, uh, different types of grading of uh, vegetables, like different, uh, you know, if you want to grate your sweet potato or your cheese and the different kind of shapes, uh, thicknesses, you feel that's a untapped vertical from okay. the food category. It's uh, <laughs> I think we call it great grading. Ah, I like it. Very yeah, good. We got the name. We Stay tuned to, for Josh Grunberg's uh, foray into cooking and the great grading channel. You got it. <laughs> Josh, this has been so much fun. Thanks for taking the time during your visit to LA to hang out and uh, share some more insight into what's coming next for Whistle. Thanks, James. Much appreciated. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Bye.